I'm going to speak this morning from a title of There's Always Room for One More. So, um, Jen, can you get me some water from somewhere? Because my throat is... I was singing too much this morning. I get into worship too much. And then I'm like, oh, i got to preach. I forgot. And so um, there's always room for one more. Um, we always have this conversation. We look at our van and we just say, there's one more seat in there. And my wife says that I kind of like go, oh, really, honey? Like, we have three kids. We went on a trip to Rhinelander yesterday to see the Hodeg. Anybody been to see the Hodeg at the Pioneer Historical Complex? Pretty fun. Um, but uh, it's, quite a, it's fun, you know. A car trip with your kids is really fun. Especially when you tell them you're going to do something and then you back out of it and go, no, we're not going to do that. And then it gets to be really fun. Anybody been there as a parent? You're like, we're going we're gonna to go out to eat. No, we're going to save money. We're not going out to eat. We're going to wait till we get home. And uh, so, you know, my kids are going to not like me someday because I speak about them, but that's okay. And my wife. <laughs> hey, I got to be real. Life's real, right? We all live in a real world. We have a real God, but life's real. And so, um, so you got kids complaining in the back, screaming, yelling, doing whatever they can do to, like, try to get us to change our mind. Cody's laughing back there because, like, that's what I do. Um, but <laughs> Ivan's like, yes, he does. Oh. But so, in a, so, like, thinking about this in the car ride and how it's like, hey, we don't have room for one more. Sometimes we think that way in a, in a church life. Uh, and so um, I feel like God's heart is to say that it's just not complete until everybody comes in. You know what I mean? Like everybody that needs to come into the kingdom, it's just not complete yet. Our church is not complete yet. I just want you to know. We are missing people. We are missing people that need to be a part of this body. Some of you have come here in the last year. Thank you. I'm glad that you found a home. Some of you have just been coming recently and are like trying to figure this out. Don't even know what you're doing here. But you're like, I'm here because someone's dragging me here every Sunday and I keep coming back but I don't even know what I'm actually doing yet. I don't know where to serve. I don't know what I'm doing. But yet, we are not complete until the fullness comes in. And that's the same thing with the kingdom of God. That it is not complete. And he's like, there's room for one more. All the time, there's room for one more. And so, this is God's heart. God's heart is for the orphan, the lost child, the prodigal son or daughter, the atheist, the agnostic, the addicted, the down and out, the most awful person you can think of right now. And now you have to repent because he thought the way you did about them, right? <laughs> the most well-together person who has a suit and tie, looks all good on the outside, but yeah, on the inside is dying. Whether your office is on the 55th floor of a building or your office is your living room or kitchen at home, God's heart is for you. And so I don't jump into John chapter 10, verse 16 this morning with this, with this in mind about there's always room for one more. And uh, I'm going to just tell you a little bit of background before I jump into this verse because you need to understand the conversation that has gone on before this to understand this specific verse, okay? In John chapter 9, there is a man that was born blind and Jesus meets him. And the conversation starts like this. It says, the Pharisees and the religious leaders are there and they said, whose sin, this guy's or his parents, uh, caused him to be blind? And Jesus is like, you guys don't get it. Like, that's what he says. like, no, it's not about that. You guys focus on this sin, and you focus on the problem. 
this is, this is in him, this blindness is for my work to be shown in his life. Your sin, your sinful nature, your sin problem is to someday bring about God's glory through your life. Amen. I should say amen to that. <laughs> but this conversation is going on. Jesus heals this guy. He goes into the temple and starts telling the religious leaders how God works. What do you think is going to happen? They're going to get really mad, right? I, I can imagine them sitting there with their fists up like this. Who are you to tell us? You're a sinner. We're the religious leaders. We know what we're talking about. We know how, we know how Jesus works. We know how God works. And they're probably like pounding their chest and they're frustrated. And this just keeps going on and they're having this conversation and Jesus starts saying, hey, you guys are spiritually blind. And they're like, no, we're not. We're the religious leaders. And, and he's like, if you said you were blind, you would actually see. And this conversation goes on. Jesus starts talking about the sheep pan and his sheep, that he's the gatekeeper of the sheep, that he's the one that the sheep need to follow, that he, is, um, that he also is not like the hired hand that just kind of comes and takes care of the sheep, but once a wolf comes or, um, or somebody comes to try to snatch him away, he doesn't do anything about it. He says, I am the good shepherd in verse 14. And then it goes down here into verse 16, and this is where we're going to land and I'm going to land all over the place in this chapter, so just uh, bear with me this morning. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock and one shepherd. So this passage is really huge. This is the passage that has been on my heart, uh, especially for me as I'm planting a church. This is where my heart has been. I was sitting on the couch with my daughter uh, a couple weeks ago, and sometimes I just have songs come in my head when I'm sitting with my kids. I don't know why. Does anybody else have that happen? Like, you just have a song pop in your head that you just want to sing to your kid or to your grandchild, whatever. And so I just said, hey, honey, I got something for you. And I go, I just called to say I love you. And she just gets this big smile on her face. And I'm like, I'm not going to sing anymore. Let's just get, you know, the beauty of YouTube is that you could just pull up Stevie Wonder, right? Am I right? And I don't have to, like, I don't have to sing it, and you go, man, that's awful. Don't sing anymore, please. And, uh, but, but I'm listening to the song, and, and I just called to say I love you, and it says, I, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart. And this is God. This is his heart for humanity. This is Jesus proclaiming God's heart, that there are other sheep out there, that there are people that will hear his voice, that there is just one flock and one shepherd. This is his heartbeat. And just like that, Jesus calls us to himself. And so I just want to begin to break this passage down. So we're going to start with the first part of this passage, which is in 16. But I have other sheep, but I have other sheep. All right. So there's other sheep out there. When Jesus talked about this, he was talking to the religious leaders and the Israelites the Israelites were the true sheep, okay? They were, they were included. Other people were excluded, all right? So even as he's even talking, there's this uh, sign above the temple that says only the circumcised are allowed. Or it might have said no uncircumcised allowed. I can't remember for sure. But it says something like that. And so as he's speaking these words, he's like, the religious leader's got to be thinking, Jesus, are you kidding me? You know, they're already mad because he's called them spiritually blind. They're already mad because he's already saying he's the sheep of the, of the, she, the shepherd of the sheep. And so now he's saying, hey, there's other sheep out there. You guys think that this is an exclusive club. 
Uh-uh. I'm including other people. We're not an exclusive club at Bethany, are we? We're not an exclusive club at Bethany, are we? Amen? We are including, we include all people of all races, of all tongues, of all generations, that they would know Jesus. And so um, in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, um, this is an Old Testament passage about what God is going to do. And uh, so if you want to turn there, you can. I'm actually reading now the Christian Standard Bible. Um, it's, it's, the, it's the best translation for reading and for literal understanding. Just so you know, it's the newest version out, but it's the best one. And so um, that's what I'm reading out of this morning. But whatever you have, it's sure it goes along with me. So the vision, okay, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Isaiah. The vision that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills. By the way, if anybody has noticed, it's September 24th. We made it another day. Jesus has not come back yet. I don't know if you saw those things on the internet. September 23rd was the last day, and uh, we made it to today. Amen? And so, um, just a little side note that I had to put in there. Um, It says this, All nations will stream to it, and many people will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways so that we may walk in his paths for instruction will go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And so I love this picture that he's saying this is a city of peace, that Jesus is, God is bringing his people in, that he's bringing people into the kingdom from all nations will stream to it. And so um, in Revelation 5, 9, another picture of this at the end when we're sitting around the throne and there are many people from all different nations, it says, and they sang a new song. You guys like it when we sing a new song? This is good. (laughs) I like when I get to sing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. So here's uh, just talking about Jesus purchasing all people from all generations, from all tribes, from all languages, from all nations, from all people groups, every single person that's scattered around the world that they will, the ones that have heard the name of Jesus and have, have listened to his voice, have followed him, have believed and received him, are, are those other sheep that he's talking about here. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, uh, Paul talks about this even more, and he actually talks about the Gentiles. So you have the Israelites and you have the Gentiles. So the Israelites are the ones that were included when Jesus was talking here. The Gentiles were excluded from fellowship with God. And so here's what Paul says. So then, this will be a remembrance for you guys this morning as you're listening to this. Okay, so then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done by, in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ, Excluded from there it is, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. How many of you guys remember when you were without hope, you were without God, you were excluded from the promises because you did not have faith in Jesus Christ. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so this is what he's talking about. The other sheep are people who have not believed and received Jesus yet. Yet, 
There's other sheep out in the world. Um, John Piper put it this way. In the, he said, in the early 1600s, John Eliot in Boston woke up from the Puritan fold and saw that there were other sheep among the Algonquin. A century later, David Brainerd woke up from the New England congregational fold and saw that there were other sheep among the Housatonic and the Delaware. And at the end of the 18th century, William Carey woke up from the British Baptist fold and saw that there were other sheep in India. And just when the mission agencies and churches were growing content with the coastland successes around the world, Hudson Taylor woke up to the peoples of the vast inland stretches of China and Peter Cameron Scott to the inland peoples of Africa. And just when all of Christendom, Western Christendom, began to feel content in the 20th century that every country of the world had been penetrated with the gospel, Cameron Townsend and Ralph Winter woke up to the reality of 17,000 unreached peoples and thousands of languages with no Bible. What's the theme here? It's waking up to Folgers in your cup. No, waking up to what God's doing. Waking up that there's still other sheep out there. God woke up me to a people that I don't even know yet. God woke up to me a people with, with an M in the city. God woke up to me where the people have a tiger as a mascot. He woke me up and said, there are people in this community that are waiting for you to come. And the community is Marshfield. So that's why I'm going, because God has woken me up. How many of you guys have been woken up to, to, to teenagers in this church that you say, God's like, hey, I need you to serve. I need you to give of your time to these students. How many of you guys have been woken up and said, I need to start serving the kids? How many of you have been woken up and said, man, I need to be involved with adults? If you're, if you're discipling people right now, you have woken up to that call. I just want you to know if it's not working out, it's not your fault, okay? I want you to know that because I have somebody that I'm supposed to be discipling and it's not working out at all. But that's okay. That's not for us. We're just trying to do what we're called to do, right? It's not your fault if it's not working out with that disciple person. And so I just want to encourage you, what are you waking up to? Those other sheep that are around you uh, that are looking for you to share the good news with them. The second part of this passage shows other sheep and Jesus says, I must bring them. There's a difference between must and it would be nice, right? Like there's a difference. So uh, when my daughter wants me to take her to daddy-daughter date night, if I go, well, that'd be nice care if we went to daddy-daughter date night. If I just say, nope, I must take her, it's getting on the calendar, it's going in my phone, it's going with an alert, it's, it's going to be, I'm going to hear it go off before the day, it's going to say beep, 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 and I'm going to go, what was that? Oh, taking care of the daddy-daughter date night, because I must do it. If I must do something, it's going to be accomplished or done. You know, when I, in high school, there was guys that were on the wrestling team, how many of you guys were on a wrestling team, or no guys that were on the wrestling team in high school? Um, they would have to, they must make weight to be able to wrestle, right? So they would put sweaters on, and they'd have like three or four layers. They'd have sweatpants. I was like, man, that's crazy. Like, why do you do that? I got to make weight. I must make weight. They would do whatever it took to make weight. They would, they would take care of the necessary details to make that weight. And Jesus says this in John 17, 20. I pray not only for these but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So Jesus' heart, hey, I'm not praying just for my disciples. I'm not just praying for myself to glorify God, but I'm also praying for those that will believe. So we have other sheep in this passage. We've got Jesus says, I must bring them. It's his heart. And then the third one is lost souls will listen to Jesus' voice too. 
In John chapter 10, verses 1 through 8, it goes through this, and Jesus talks about himself being the shepherd of the sheep. And he says, Truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. Can you say this? He calls his own sheep by name. Can you say that right now? Just say it out loud. He calls his own sheep by name. Thank you. Be, be a little more interactive here. That's fun. And leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. All right, so Jesus is giving this figure of speech. And truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and out and find pasture. And so Jesus is basically saying here, you know, hey, um, follow my voice, follow my leading, follow my call on your life. I am calling you, I am leading you, I call you by name. There is no greater thing on this planet than to hear Jesus call your name. There is no greater, there is nothing that will compare to it. There's, there's a song that says nothing compares to this, right? There is nothing that compares to it. And people that haven't experienced yet, I say, hey, when he calls your name, you respond. When you hear his name in a message, you respond. When you hear a preacher proclaiming his name, respond to his name because he will change your life. There will be nothing better. You will not find anything better on this earth. It won't happen. And so there's no sweeter voice. There's nothing else. When you hear his voice, you will leave everything else behind. Won't you? Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. When you heard his voice and you said, I'm leaving everything else behind, I'm going to follow him with everything I got. It's been the best life that you've had, right? No. It's been hard. It's been challenging. It's been difficult. When Jesus was talking to religious leaders, what happened? They started picking up stones. That happens, right? When you follow Jesus, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be the, this, uh, this easy thing to do. And so um, when we're thinking about following Jesus, I want to say this. Sheep are not actually dumb, okay? I, I hear people's pastors say that, and I'm like, don't tell your people they're dumb. They, it's just not very nice, for one, right? We're just looking for direction. We need direction. We need, we, we're looking for it. Everything in the culture, everything we're trying to buy, everything that's leading us, every movie we're watching, everything is trying to speak a voice into our life. And we're looking for direction through it. And sometimes, I, I don't know if you're like me, but I walk around like this. I do, do you guys ever do that? I walk around like that and I'm like, where am I going? What am I doing? And then I hear the voice of the shepherd in Isaiah 30, 21. And it's beautiful. And he says, he basically says this, and I, I'm going I'm to read it because I don't want to mess it up. But it says, um, and whenever you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear this command behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. Sometimes I walk through life like that. I'm like, where am I going? What am I doing? You know what happens sometimes in your Christian walk? You start having no peace. Like, what happened, God? I'm supposed to have peace all the time, aren't I? 
And you lose that peace, and then you're walking around in circles going, what am I doing? Why am I here? Where did Jesus go? And like, you like do that, you know, like, where did Jesus go? And like, I'm right here. I'm living in you, remember? Oh, yeah, that's right. But where'd you go, really? Like, I don't feel you. I don't sense your presence. I don't feel your peace right now. He's like, I'm doing something different in your life where I've got to break your peace so that you can see something new. Amen? Because he does that to lead us differently. There's a, there's a, I was thinking about this last night about just uh, a king. Jesus is king, right? When you're summoned summon into the king's courts, what happens? You're either there, I don't know, I was trying to figure, I was trying to find this last night, I couldn't find it anywhere. I googled for like an hour to find out what would happen when you are summoned by a king. And I couldn't find it like anywhere. And so I just went off the top of my head, I'm like, well, what do I remember from school or movies or whatever? So you're summoned by the king. One, you could be put to death, Right? A lot of us, when we go into the presence of Jesus, we're fearful of death. He says, no, no, don't fear death. I have overcome death. I have overcome the grave and sin and all that, so don't fear death. The second one is you're summoned for something purpose, right? So I love this picture. Jesus summons us into his presence. He speaks our name, and we're called for a purpose. How awesome is it that the king of this world calls you into his presence? Woo! There is nothing, there's nothing greater. He calls you by name. You hear his voice and you follow. And when the king summons you, you don't run away. When the king summons you, you go. You meet him. You go, you just like, who cares the Packers are playing today? Jesus is calling my name. Oh my goodness, you just said that, really? I'm serious. What if Jesus calls your name and you're watching a Packer game and you miss him? Wow, that's pretty, saying that in Wisconsin, right? But seriously, I'm not saying you shouldn't watch the Packers. I do. I enjoy it. But sometimes I feel like maybe there's an obedience step that he's asking us to do, and it has to do with our entertainment. It has to do with our stuff. Because like, I just want to meet with you right now. I love you. I have a call for you. Would you take the time out? Spend it. Get with me. And so the last part is there's one shepherd in this passage. It says there's one shepherd. In John 10, 19 through 21, it talks about the people being divided about him. If you go anywhere, people are divided about Jesus still. This is not a new thing. This was in his time. He was walking around. People were still divided about him. Still are today. People that believe he's a good person. People that believe he's, uh, he was just, uh, just a prophet. People that believe he... Uh, didn't even exist. People believe that he married Mary. Like, all these weird things, right, that, that are not biblical at all, they're not scriptural, but people believe it about Jesus. So people are divided about him, still are today. So when you talk about a shepherd, you have to talk about his goodness, but to see his goodness, you have to talk about the badness first, okay? So we're going to turn to Ezekiel chapter 34. And uh, we're going to look at what a bad shepherd looks like. By the way, I just want to say that I'm sometimes the bad shepherd. I know I'm not the shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd as a pastor. But I just know I don't always get it right. I don't always speak the right words to you. I don't always lead the right way. I don't always do what I say I'm going to do. I mean, I, I just want you to know. I'm just not always, I'm not always like this passage we'll talk about. And so it says in 34 through 4 through 6, it says, You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. 
Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became food for all the wild animals when they were scattered. My flock went astray on all the mountains and every high hill. My flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and there was no one searching or seeking for them. Wow, that's not a good picture, is it? This feels kind of like loneliness, doesn't it? That you're just alone in your, in your sickness. You're alone in your injury. There's no one to come and find you. And yet, this is what the picture of the shepherd that the Lord says in Ezekiel 34, 11. It says this, For this is what the Lord God says, See, I myself will search for my flock and look for them. you got to get this. This is awesome right here. I myself will search for my flock and look for them. As a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day he is among his scattered flock, so I will look for my flock. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and total darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples, gather them from the countries, and bring them to their own soil. I will shepherd them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the land. And then he goes on in 15 and 16. I will tend my flock and let them lie down. This is the declaration of the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the strays. You know, I was talking about the bad shepherds didn't do that. What does God say he's going to do? I will. I will. This is his will. This is his must. This is his passion. I will seek the lost, bring back the strays, bandage the injured, strengthen the weak. This is awesome. But he says, I also will destroy the fat and the strong. I will shepherd them with justice. I love this. This is our good shepherd. This is who he is right here. And so in John chapter 10, 14 through 15, it says this, Jesus says this about himself. And so if you're looking at what is written about him in the Old Testament, here's what he says about himself. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Four no's in there, all right? Four different no's. Number one, I know my sheep. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. He knows you. He knows the inside and out. He knows exactly what you need. He knows when you need to sit and watch a movie. He knows when you need to sit and bask in his presence. He knows when you need to go talk to somebody. He knows when someone needs to come and talk to you. Amen? He knows you by name. He knows your zip code. He knows your address. He knows everything about you. Beautiful. Amazing. God knows each of us. Number two, the second part of a good shepherd, and he talks about this, is my sheep know me. So this is our part, right? He knows us, but we need to know him. I'm going to give you an illustration. There was this uh, thought I had about a grandma Eunice. I don't know if anybody, does anybody have a grandma Eunice? I don't know. I don't either, but it just came to my mind. There's a difference between grandma Eunice, and here's, here's the difference. When you hear somebody like your uncle or your dad or somebody talk about Grandma Eunice and, she, and you hear them talk about her and they say, well, she makes amazing cookies. They're really good. You'll have to taste them to really know. But she makes really good cookies. Um, man, when I would lay on the hammock at her house, it was so good. It was swaying the wind. It's beautiful. It's lovely. But there's a difference between this, and, and this Grandma Eunice and this one when you say, I'm going to Grandma Eunice's house. Grandma Eunice invites me into her kitchen. Grandma Eunice baked me some amazing cookies. And I'm chewing on them, and I'm tasting the chocolate, and I'm tasting the peanut butter, 
And a lot of you are tasting right now. You're like, I'm hungry. So let's get over this, Pastor. And you're tasting it and you're chewing on it and, you're, and, you're, and it's getting in you and it's getting in your stomach and it's getting in your being. And then you go outside and you lay in the hammock and you feel that breeze. And you feel the peace that comes in the hammock. There's a difference, isn't there? It's a difference between knowing Jesus and knowing Jesus. Knowing him here and knowing him here. It's a difference. So he says, my sheep, I know my sheep, but my sheep know me. If you're a true shepherd, if you're a true sheep of Jesus, you know him. And you know it. And how you know it is because you have the personal relationship. Like in a marriage, if you have a good marriage, you just know, right? If you don't, you don't. You're like, it's, it's a shamble. Like, I, I don't know what to do. But when you know it's good, you know it. You can feel it. You can feel it inside. You can feel the passion that you have for one another. And in a relationship with God, you, you know when you're right and when you're not. The third part of this, that how he is a good shepherd and how he is the only shepherd, the one shepherd, is this. He laid down his life for the sheep. 1 Peter 2, 24 through 25 says this. He himself, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I just love this. He bore our sins, which means he put him on himself. He took them. He took our infirmities. He took all of our, everything we've ever done wrong. He took our lies. He took the things when we lied to our wife. He took the things when we stole, we cheated. We did things that we knew were not right, but he took them and he bore him on the cross. And you know what the payment is? It's him. It isn't us. We don't pay for that sin anymore. It's him. All we have to do is trust Believe and receive what he's already done. That's the beauty of a relationship. That's what God has done. And he does that for us still today. And it says like sheep going astray. We have all gone astray. We have all gone to our own way, whatever that might be. I don't know what that looks like in your life. I can tell you what it looked like in mine. If you ever want to sit down and talk about it, I'm willing to. But I'm telling you, we've all gone astray in our own way. And what God did was he sent his son Jesus so that we didn't have to go astray anymore. We didn't have to wonder. We didn't have to go in circles like this anymore, directionless in life. He has a direction. He has a purpose. And it's through his son Jesus. Amen. And so um, to apply this this morning, there's always room for one more. Always room for one more. In this church, there's always room for one more. In your life, there's always room for one more person to know Jesus. In your neighborhood, your neighbor, your, your co-worker, whoever it might be, there is always room for one more. It's like, like I said earlier in the passage, it, God's kingdom is not complete and full until every one that is supposed to come in comes in. So there's always room for one more. Um, I don't know if you know this, but in America, we are part of the 3% of the world that is declining in Christian faith. I don't know if you know that. This is just a, I don't know if you can even read that, but the regions around are um, 3% decline. 3% of the world, and we're part of it. And there's this group called the nuns that are in the world today. They're not the Catholic holy women, by the way. They're 36% in 2014, and they're rising. They're They're the people I would say, I'm an atheist, I'm an agnostic, 
You know, does our heart, like, cry for these people? Does, does my heart beat to see them in the kingdom of God? Do you know what, I'm, 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 just, I'm just throwing this out there, but I would like to see this down to 20%. I would like to see by the time that I am done with ministry that that number is 20%. And then the next generation behind them is even lower. That's pretty huge, right? But I believe that that's what God can do. We don't, we're not speaking a dead message. We're speaking a living message that is alive. And so we just continue to proclaim it, but this is what is out there. And I started to look at this, and I said, well, how many nuns live in Marshfield? Because maybe that's why I'm going there. 30% of Marshfield are nuns. Almost the national average, which is 5,500 people, which doesn't seem like a lot, but that's a lot of people who don't know Jesus yet. And then if you tack all the people that have been in church that have been hurt and wounded by a church, then you're going to look at probably 10,000 people, at least. There's 20,000 people in that area. And so, so my heart is to plant a church there. And that's my target area. And my wife's target area. We've been called for whatever reason, God's called us to plant a church. So we're going to Marshfield, and we're moving soon. We're at 40% of our support raise. And I got about 10 or 15 people who are waiting right now to give, and I don't even know what they're giving. And so God's moving this along pretty quickly. But I know this, that there are, our mission is going to be to transform ordinary people into passionate followers of Jesus. Can you picture this with me? And I'm going to close my eyes because I have to do this to picture this. I'm just going to come down too, but I have to picture this. But can you picture, can you picture a community? Can you picture a person maybe with a, uh, no offense to anybody in the room, but a picture of people with ears pierced and nose pierced and all kinds of things, and they're accepted and they're loved and they're brought in because it's not about the outward appearance but the, but the heart. And then can you picture people that were away from Jesus starting to open up their wallets and giving to the kingdom of God around the world for missions? Can you imagine uh, children that grew up in homes that were uh, abusive and, and rough that now their parents are getting along and because of Jesus Christ and what he can do? Can you imagine young millennials who have completely said no to Jesus and spend their weekends on themselves are now going in the neighborhood with their pastor and with their leadership? to share the gospel with other ones their age. Can you imagine a church like that, a church that doesn't just meet on Sunday but meets throughout the week? Can you imagine a community? That is my heartbeat. And the Lord has given that to me. And I believe we have a church like that at Bethany. I believe I've been a part of that. Does that mean that everybody stays? No. Does that mean that people slip through the cracks sometimes? Yes. Does that mean we're bad shepherds sometimes? Yes. Does that mean we're good shepherds? Yes. But this is my heart. That's where I am. I met a guy closing this way today. I met a guy um, on Revive Wisconsin, and he was a Buddhist, and I forgot what else he said, but he had spent six months in Thailand, and um, I was on a team with people, and we just listened to his story. Just listened to his whole story. And he kept saying, hey, I believe in a higher authority. I believe in a higher power. I believe there's something out there. 
And I just kept listening. We walked through the Revived Bible, every verse. He would tell me what it meant. I would say, this is what it really means. <laughs> you have to. You have to help people, right? You've got to help people walk through the Word. And so we got to this point, about 45 minutes of conversation, and I said, here's where you're at today. And can, I, can I share this with you? And he said, yeah, sure. You always ask for permission, right? Say, hey, can I share this with you? I said, this is where I believe you're at. I said, you believe, I think you really believe, but you believe in a higher authority. But you need to believe that that higher authority is Jesus. You need to believe that he is Lord, and you need to confess him as Lord. And it was amazing. We just kind of sat there, and he went like this. He goes, and I'm like, whoa, that was weird, because that's what he actually did. He went like this. And he goes, I believe. And I'm like, what? He goes, no, I really believe it's been in here but it's come out. Everything else has been blocking it. Everything else that in this world, the religious stuff, the stuff I've been trying to do to meditate, all this stuff is blocking Jesus Christ as Lord. I'm like, whoa, I couldn't have said it better. You know? And so he prayed the prayer. I didn't have to pray for him. He just prayed. I mean, he believed. When somebody believes, they believe. When you believed, you believed. There wasn't people that were going to say, no. You come here on Sunday after Sunday because you believe. You have faith. You love the Lord. Some of you are here, you don't believe yet, but he's calling you by name this morning. He's calling you and saying, you are my sheep. I, you have come this morning just for that purpose, to come into my kingdom, to be a part of my fold. That's what he's doing. And so I, I just ask this morning as you... Um, if you're, if you're called to support us, I have to raise four years of support as a family. That's what we have to do. And so every, every bit helps, by the way. I've had some people that said, well, I'm only giving 25 bucks a month. I said, man, that's amazing. Remember the story of the, uh, the woman that just put the, the coffer in the one, one little or two little pennies, whatever, less than pennies. She put them in, and Jesus said she gave more than the other people. It's not about how much you give. It's about if you're being called that you just be obedient. That's it. That's all I'm asking. And if you're not called to support us, that's okay. But I believe you're going to be praying for us. I know that you're going to be supporting us in other ways because we're a family. And they'll always be my family here. And so, um, so we have to raise four years of support. So if you, we, we're looking for 50, 100, 200 bucks a month, if you can, um, for four years. And so, and the reason why is because church plants take three to four years to actually start giving. I'm hoping that we're not going to be like that. I'm hoping that within the first two years, we're going to be fully supported by our plant, and then I can just call my donor and say, hey, we're fully supported, go support another missionary. That's my, that's my goal, actually. So, um, that's where we're at. So, if you feel like you're called, uh, help us to support us. We're going to be back at the table back here, my wife and I. I've got magnets, I've got um, how to contribute back there. And uh, I'm just going to pray for us, but I want to, I just want to say this. Bethany, continue to be a church that looks after the other sheep. Whatever you do, lay it all down for that. Don't get caught up in other things. Lay it down. Lay all your, continue to reach the next generation. Wherever you get, don't, don't lose the next generation. Don't lose the teenagers. Don't lose the children. Continue to be a church that reaches them too. Don't lose that. And so that's my last cry for you this morning. And I'm going to pray, and uh, we're going to close out this service. God, thank you so much for each person that's here this morning. Thank you for each person. I pray that anyone that has not 
heard your voice, would hear you calling them by name right now into your kingdom, would receive you, would start a brand new life in Jesus. Thank you for uh, working in us and through us today. And I pray that we can go after those other sheep this week, that we can be a church that continues to do that, that we can save room for one more in our individual lives, that we can save room in our family possibly for adoption or whatever else, whatever you want to do, God, let us save room for whatever you want to do. We love you. Thank you for being our God, and thank you for working in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.